I'm Howard Chang. I'm a professor at Stanford University and investigator with the Howard Hughes Medical Institute. This is part three of my iBiology talks, and this talk will focus on cis action of long non-coding RNA genes. The world of RNA has been expanding in an amazing rate over the last decade. It's now believed that the human genome encodes nearly 60,000 long non-coding RNA genes. This picture shows some of the history of this particular field. And we start with the discovery of singular RNA genes back in the 80s and 90s to the present-day uh, explosion. Uh, some of the sort of better worked-out examples are shown, and they're principally working on chromatin, but that is by no means their only mode of action. Our work has focused on trying to understand the mechanisms of a select number of linked RNAs of biological significance, and also developing technologies so that other investigators can tackle their favorite long non-coding RNAs. A very important sort of idea is that each of these linked RNA genes has its own set of regulatory elements that are needed to, for the production of the long non-coding RNA. So that means that each linked RNA would have its own promoter, its own enhancers, splicing sites, and other features to make sure that this RNA gets made and processed. And sometimes, it's actually these regulatory elements that provide the functionality of the long non-coding RNA locus, not necessarily the RNA product. Some examples from many investigators have started to show these kinds of examples. And today, we're going to focus on a very salient example uh, and that is a link RNA, and I'll tell you about the story of how we came to that discovery. So, faced with this explosion of long non-coding RNA genes, a few years ago, we set out to determine which link RNAs were actually important for cell growth and function. We teamed up with colleagues at UCSF, developed a CRISPR interference technology for targeting link RNAs. This particular method uses a uh, repurposes a dead Cas9 from the CRISPR-Cas system as a DNA targeting platform. We can fuse that dead Cas9 to a CRAB silencer domain, and that will recruit a silencing complex to wherever we target it. This is a kind of epigenome uh, editing, and this is called CRISPR interference. And so wherever we target uh, this uh, fusion construct, we basically block the transcription of the link RNA gene, basically, and we can then look at the consequence of uh, the loss of this linked RNA transcription event. We design uh, guide RNAs targeting uh, 16,000 plus human linked RNAs, particularly those that may have a few effect on cancer, and we had 10 guides each. And so this large, this screen was then conducted uh, in uh, seven different cell types, and we got a quite striking result. First is that we identified nearly 500 essential, cell essential link RNA loci. Uh, that is, means that in the, if we target that link RNA, the cells would start doing less well. They would basically drop out from the population. And so there's something important going on for this loci. The second point is that these link RNA essential hits were actually oftentimes present in one cell type only. And this is a kind of a surprising result because for the equivalent screen, in protein-coding genes. These cell-essential genes would be things that are involved in cell cycle progression, the proteasome, really important housekeeping events, and they would be in common across multiple cell types. But in contrast, these linked RNA hits are actually in one cell type only. 
This will be an example where in one cell, cell type A, if you silence this linked RNA gene, there will be um, both a cell growth defect and also multiple uh, gene expression changes. But in the second cell type, basically, it's not required. No growth defect, no gene expression changes. And so there's a, a unique level of cell type specificity that's revealed in this kind of functional screen. In addition to genes that uh, basically are important for cell growth, that is, the cell growth would slow down in their absence, we also got hits of the reverse kind. And the strongest hit that enhanced cell growth in the entire genome-wide screen was this particular link RNA called PVT1. You can see some primary data here. This is uh, in the beginning of the experiment. We transduced the entire library. Over time, we'll see what happens to cells that are missing PVT1. And you can see that, basically, their relative enrichment increases in the population in these two kinds of breast... uh, in this breast cancer cell and several other cell types, uh, but not in some additional cell types. Okay? So the absence of this RNA seems to make uh, the uh, cells grow better. This is a very salient finding, because PVT1 is perhaps the first linked RNA gene implicated by human cancer genetics. PVT1 uh, is actually... its locus is a place... it resides at a translocation breakpoint for a kind of human cancer called Burkitt's lymphoma. Uh, And it's right next to the very important oncogene called MYC, 53 kilobases downstream. And in fact, this translocation actually led to the cloning of MYC and actually wanted the identification of the MYC as a human oncogene uh, almost uh, 30 years ago. So it's a very important uh, sort of uh, landmark in uh, cancer genetics. It's known that uh, this locus PVT1 is co-amplifying with MYC in many human cancers. Yet, we also know that there are many mutations and deletions within this locus in human cancer. So this is a bit of a a mystery now, because if you think about it, if you're saying that this gene is very important for cancer growth, then why would the cancer cell bother to make more copies of it and then break it up, bust up its action, if it's actually good for the cancer's growth? So I hope towards the end of this talk, some of these questions will become more obvious. I just want to remind you that MYC is a very important oncogene. It's overexpressed in nearly 50% of human cancers. It's a key transcription factor for cell growth and really can mediate all the hallmarks of of cancer. Okay. So one of the ways we realize the effect of silencing PVT1 with the Gaia RNA, which is shown in the screen called by sgRNA PVT1, is in an assay of competitive cell growth. If you imagine that we have cells that are basically controls or wild type, and some other cells where PVT1 is silenced, if we mix them together, we can imagine that the cell growth advantage will be manifested by one population growing at the expense of the other. So in this case, we've labeled some of these cells, like the ones silencing PVT1, with a red color, and the control cells silencing irrelevant uh, genes, let's say, with a green color. If you mix them together, then the red cells will grow out. But in, a, in another control, some of the two irrelevant comparisons, the red and green cells will maintain their ratio over time. Neither cell can grow better than the other. Okay. So doing exactly this experiment, we found that if we silence PVT1 in cancer cells, shown in red, they will basically grow out and take over the population in about seven days. Okay? But in some control uh, comparisons, basically, the red and green cells maintain their ratio. So there's a potent cell growth advantage that's rapidly manifested 
that we can see in cell culture. And this is also true in the animal. If we inject these cancer cells, which have been tagged with a bioluminescence strategy, so the cells basically will glow and report how many cells they are, if we inject them into mice, one side, the control, showing gray, and the other side, silencing PV21, showing red, you'll see that always on the left, the signal is brighter. Uh, That just shows that in vivo, uh, that there's a cell growth advantage for these tumor cells. So somehow removing PVT1 transcription has this beneficial effect uh, for the cancer cells. We wanted to know the molecular mechanism of this effect, so we basically carried out a profiling method called RNA sequencing, looking at all the differences in RNA levels across the entire transcriptome. And what we found in this volcano plot shown here is that the number one downregulated gene when we silence PVT1 is PVT1, as expected. That makes sense. And the number one gene that's turned on is actually MYC, this gene that's 53 kb away, okay? This potent oncogene. So um, we can further validate, confirm that result by looking at protein levels. So on the right-hand side, we're looking at loading controls. Basically, everything looks the same. And if you silence PVT1 in in rows 2 or 3, we see MYC protein level goes up in concordance with its messenger RNA. So it's good to remember the relationship between PVT1 promoter, which we've been shutting down, and MYC as a seesaw relationship. PVT1 promoter goes down, MYC goes up, and in other experiments, when MYC goes down, the PVT1 promoter goes up. Okay, so, so far, so great. We have this very interesting long non-coding RNA locus. We have this potent effect. Uh, So we were all ready to investigate the RNA and how does the RNA do its job. But then additional experiments indicated that the PVT1 RNA is somehow dispensable, not necessary for the effects that we're studying here. I told you about how we were using this CRISPR-I to block PVT1 transcription. There's a different version of that technology we can use the dead Cas9 and use it as a roadblock downstream of the transcriptional unit. In this case, you would not stop the initiation of transcription, but as the RNA polymerase is going along, it would run into the roadblock and then it would stop. So your RNA would get truncated. Okay, and that would also cause the RNA to go away. On the left-hand side, we're showing that in fact both CRISPR-I or this dead Cas9 roadblock effectively reduces the PVT1 RNA levels that we can measure. Basically, they're absolutely, they're nearly identical in, in, in terms of getting rid of the RNA, PVT1 RNA. However, only stopping transcription from the PVT1 promoter increased MYC levels, but not, the, uh, but not getting rid of the RNA product of PVT1 by this roadblock. And additional experiments looking at cell growth, again, showed that only this former strategy affecting the promoter, enhanced cell growth, but not getting rid of the RNA. Well, we were pretty stubborn, so we kept going with different methodologies. As I showed you, the CRISPR-I method, blocking transcription, uh, increased MYC, increased cell growth, but not the roadblock. Two additional methods, getting rid of the PVT1 RNA by antisense oligonucleotides, or siRNA uh, knockdown, uh, also they all effectively removed the PVT1 RNA, but did not affect MYC transcription in the same way. So we were forced to think about a different model for how the PVT1 locus could work as a potential tumor suppressor. 
So here, we turn to really the DNA elements of the PVT1 locus, and specifically thinking about how this regulatory landscape would work on the DNA level in the three-dimensional genome context. And we were aided by a technology that my lab had recently developed called the enhancer connectome. This is a methodology that allows us to assay both the enhancer strength and enhancer targets in the same experiment. What we're doing is that we're taking cells and fixing their three-dimensional contacts of DNA in the living cell. Afterwards, we retrieve active enhancers based on a specific histone modification called histone H3 lysine 27 acetylation. When we sequence these contact maps, we can then create a map of enhancer promoter contacts. And this method has some additional advantages uh, shown at the bottom here. And I refer the audience to uh, my talk part one in epigenomic technologies, where we go into more depth of other applications for this technology. In this particular experiment, though, we're focused on MIC and PVT1. And so the next image is so-called a virtual 4C map. We're starting from a particular viewpoint, in this case, uh, the, the MIC locus, and we're interested in anything, any active enhancers that is touching the MIC locus. And what we discovered is that this PVT1 gene locus contains four intragenic enhancers. These are DNA elements that turn on other genes, okay? And they're shown here, these four arrows here. And what we further learn is that these four enhancers normally talk to the PVT1 promoter, which is closer to these enhancers. But if the PVT1 promoter is not active, these four enhancers are still there, they're still active, and they reach over and turn on MIC instead. Okay, so that's summarized at the bottom. These four enhancers normally activate PVT1, and if the PVT1 promoter is not firing, uh, the enhancers activate MIC. So, uh, this then really, uh, additional experiments really show that this is in fact how it's working. If we remove the activity of the PVT1 enhancers, then the PVT1 promoter silencing no longer increases MIC activity, no longer drives cell growth. If we toggle MIC, then PVT1 basically gets more active, and that again we believe depends on the enhancers. And therefore, we're left to with the idea of a promoter competition model. These two nearby genes are both firing the polymerase and go to either the MIC or the PVT1 promoter. And these four enhancers normally talk to the PVT1 promoter preferentially. But if the PVT1 promoter is not doing its job, then these uh, enhancers would jump over to turn on MIC instead. So the PVT1 promoter, which is a specific DNA element in the link RNA locus, is really like a fence. Right? It is a boundary element that is inducible and limits the access of the MIC oncogene to these PVT1 entronic enhancers. So this is a very novel concept because not only is this a boundary element, not only is it a fence, but it's really a, a fence or a door that you can control, you can open and close at, at will based on the amount of transcription of this link RNA locus. A very strong prediction of this particular model is that MIC and PVT1 then must be working on the same piece of DNA, right? Because we're talking about folding of the DNA on, on the same allele. So we tested that with the following strategy. And so we used a, a cell system that's derived from two parents of very different genetic backgrounds. 
in this case, a mouse F1 hybrid coming from the 129 cross the cast. These are two different strains with lots and lots of DNA sequence differences between them. And therefore, in this offspring, it has one chromosome from 129 and one chromosome from cast. And when we perform either RNA sequencing or other kind of chromatin assays, we can always tell which chromosome or which allele it is coming from. And so in this case, the 129 is always going to be shown in in pink, the cast in blue. And we can calculate a ratio, uh, which is called a D-score. You can think about this D-score as a deviation score, right? So if something is basically exactly half and half equal 129 cast, it's going to be zero. If you see a big positive number, it's going to be all 129 bias. If it's a big negative number, it's all cast, okay? And so what we found is a very interesting physiologic regulation of PVT1 and MYC. In the beginning of development, for example, in embryonic stem cells, uh, we can map uh, these different activities. So in every row here is a different profiling method, and it's going to be shown in two tracks. One color is the 129 allele, one color is the cast allele. And then this is looking at chromatin accessibility by attack seek, RNA sequencing, what's being transcribed, and the histone marks, K4 methylation, a promote, active promoter mark, and also a K9 methylation, which is a silencing mark. So in embryonic stem cells, basically both alleles of PVT1 are active, and basically there's some, basically, and the two alleles of MYC are both firing, but at uh, some level, okay? But if these embryonic stem cells turn into neuroprecursor cells in one cell clone, all the daughter cells are from the same allele, we see something very interesting going on. Now, the two alleles are no longer exactly the same. Uh, the blue allele here, you see it's active, and the red allele is not in terms of its promoter. The other allele now has a silencing mark. So one allele active, one allele silent. The active allele of PVT1 generates lots of RNA, and the same allele of MYC now has less RNA compared to its counterpart that does not have this regulation. So there's a 1.4-fold difference. So this really provides the evidence that there's a monoallelic regulation and that PVT1 regulates MYC on the same chromosome, but not the other. Okay. We can look across multiple cell clones and look at how, uh, what, how many copies of MYC being, uh, is active and how many, sorry, how many alleles of PVT1 is active and how much MYC RNA is transcribed. So we can see cells with zero allele PVT1, one copy, two alleles active, and there's a corresponding stepwise decrease in MYC transcription with more copies of PVT1 being active. This is also shown in the following way. If we just count the allele bias, I told you about this deviation D-score, okay? So basically, we're calculating the allele bias of PVT1 versus the, on the x-axis versus the allele bias of MYC on the y-axis. And you see this inverse relationship, right? Whenever more MYC is active on that allele, there's less PVT1, and conversely, more active PVT1, less MYC on that same allele. So I told you about the seesaw analogy, and that makes a lot of sense. Because, again, remember, PVT1 promoter being uh, active, make is not, and vice versa. And these two players have to be on the same plank for them to play seesaw. And these two elements have to be on the same chromosome for them to regulate each other in cis. We also delve into the role of PVT1 promoter in human cancer genetics. So, 
Before, we looked at the PVT1 gene as a single unit. But really, this new viewpoint about the linked RNA as a series of DNA elements suggests that we should really think of individual elements as the units in cancer genetics. And so we have the promoter and we have the enhancers. And we suggest that the enhancer is what's the oncogenic driver. The promoter is actually a tumor suppressor. And maybe what the cancer cells are actually breaking is just the promoter. And in fact, we work with clinical colleagues to examine cancer genome sequencing from breast cancers. And we discovered that, in fact, the PVT1 promoter is a hotspot. Just the promoter is the hotspot of the cancer mutations. And if you line up all these different events together, uh, shown on the right here, you see that the commonality is the PVT1 promoter, right? This is the hotspot that's in common to all of them, including deletions, inversions, breakpoints, and so forth. Uh, we went on to actually directly prove that, you know, PVT1 promoter is, in fact, a tumor suppressor, and we'll have to find the minimal unit that's needed. And so, Sang Wu Cho, a very talented postdoc, carried out, actually, genome editing of the PVT1 locus, and then we selected for cells that would grow better, and we discovered that uh, among the cells that have a growth advantage now, uh, this included a series of deletions in the PVT1 promoter, and we discovered that a promoter deletion as small as six bases is enough to give a growth advantage and increase MIC transcription, okay? Which is shown in the following uh, slide here, that we can document this very potent effect on growth and gene expression. And so this really defines kind of a new sort of unit uh, in gene regulation and also in cancer genetics. So in summary, what I've told you about is the link RNA promoter as a tumor suppressor DNA element. It, the discovery came from using genome-wide screens, and, but then delving into the mechanism, we learned about the role of the 3D genome in shaping the regulation between the PVT1 enhancers, PVT1 promoter, and MIC, and also this developmental regulation uh, that is actually very interesting uh, and has this an, an unusual monolelic uh, aspect. Uh, the cancer genetics in what we see in patients tell us which elements are really important in driving cancer progression, and we're left, left with this model of this promoter competition, the enhancers being able to activate either PVT1 or MYC, and vice versa. And in cancer, what we're seeing is a systematic effort to basically steal those enhancers, break the PVT1 promoter so MYC can have maximal access to these enhancers. And so uh, this now raises new possibilities of understanding the system and targeting them. And to summarize this part of my talk, uh, I want to remind the viewers also of the part two of the talk about link RNA genes that act on the RNA level, such as exists. And so our overall picture now is that link RNA genes may function both as regulatory RNAs and as DNA elements. And specifically, then, link RNA gene loci can intimately control chromatin, uh, especially in cis, on the same allele, the same chromosome. And finally, New technologies enable a systematic interrogation of link, chromatin, uh, link RNA and chromatin interplay, which is oftentimes very fruitful in understanding link, biology, link RNA biology and function.